he never won shit. <laughs> You're listening to Unscripted with Mike and Chris, brutally honest sports talk. And now, here is Mike Jansen. Hi, and welcome to this uh, 529th episode of Unscripted with Mike and Chris. Mike here, Chris over there, simulcasting here on the 18th of July, and uh, really looking forward to this one. Uh, we've kind of taken care of business, and uh, I've been working on two days for this list, and I promised Chris that there are just athletes on this list. Nobody like uh, DECA Records, even though that was a lot of fun. I, I mean, just think how sick DECA Records must be oh, that they fun. kicked... They kicked the Beatles to the curb, for Christ's sake. But I, I looked up Ronald Wayne, by the way. Yeah. Ronald Wayne, the Apple guy, who sold his share for $800 that would yeah. be worth $63 billion today. Yeah. He's still alive. Yeah. He's 86 years old. He I listens think to Unscripted, and he's pissed off at Yeah, me. and I think he's from Cleveland, so we might listen oh, to Unscripted. <laughs> but anyway. So he's used to disappointment then. Yeah, so, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so I, I looked him up. Uh, now, you never know online. You look up people's net worth, and you never know if it's right, but... It says he has a net worth of four hundred thousand dollars. Oh my god! So when you gave up sixty-three billion, it's uh... that's probably why he's still in Cleveland. Yikes! Um, but this one we've we've uh, we had great response, um, not only on our regularly uh, audio programs, but also on the video programs. And guys like uh, Brent in uh, Saskatchewan, we. Thank you very much for your contribution, Greg and Ryan. We know we'll hear from you guys. Um, but we had a lot of response to our top 10 list. So I decided with Chris's giving me the green light to do so that let's continue to have a episode every once in a while with a top 10 list. And uh, the top 10 today is that we're going to take a look at the top 10, what we feel. This is our own individual list. It may vary. You may think we're just totally out of whack. But this is what this is about. We want to, you know, get some opinions out of you guys, uh, figure out what you're thinking about. But today I'm looking at, and, and Chris is as well, but I, I have a very big feeling that <clears throat> our list will be much different. Um, I, I think Chris will be surprised, even after having hung out with me for almost four years now. This one is going to be, I think, surprising because I really thought about this. And for me, well, that's a big thing. Um, but anyway... I took mine in, uh, of the top 10 underappreciated athletes from the wonderful and wacky world of sports. Um, you Now, if you've listened to any previous editions of our program, and I hope that you have, that you know that I think a lot of guys, uh, like a Bernie Nichols, who I think the hell out of, I think a lot of Bernie Nichols, class act, but I think the one thing that's holding him back from inclusion at the Hockey Hall of Fame in Toronto is a lack of of a Stanley Cup champion as a player. He's won a cup as a coach, uh, as an assistant with the with the Kings years ago. But I think that's the one thing holding Bernie back is the lack of a ring. And, you know, I know that there are guys like Marino in the NFL, John Stockton, Carl Malone, because of numbers alone in the NBA deserve to be in the Hall, Hall of Fame. And I have zero problem with that. But if you've got a borderline guy, I think that guy... If that's the one thing you're looking for to get that person in to his respective sports hall of fame, if the deciding factor is a championship, that automatically, in my eyes, puts that person, guy or girl, in his or hers respective sports hall of fame. 
That's the deciding factor. Unless the numbers are so outstanding and Marino's numbers were so outstanding for the Miami Dolphins that he has to be and was a first ballot Hall of Famer. So moving on. Like last week, I want Chris to start. He'll give us his number 10 and we'll go numerically down to number one. And uh, having said that, let's get this party started with Chris and my look at our top 10 underappreciated athletes from the wonderful and wacky world of sports. Boss, you are up and the floor is yours. Thank you, sir. All right. Yeah. And this actually was uh, inspired by uh, Brent Davis, who uh, commented on the episodes there. And uh, he had suggested, well, you did just desserts. How about guys who didn't get their just desserts? So whatever you want to call it, underappreciated, underrated, whatever we're doing here. Uh, just, you know, this is a much more positive list because this is guys we like instead of guys we can't stand like right. on the other one. Right. So uh, what I did is uh, last week I had a dishonorable mention. Correct. So, so this week I'm going to have an extremely honorable mention. And you might see some of his paraphernalia right behind me here. Ah, yes. Right. Okay. So at uh, number 11, shall we say, we've got Connor McDavid um, for two reasons. Number one, he hasn't won a Stanley Cup yet. I'm sure he will at some point. I really believe that. And, uh, but I mean, specifically, it's because of 2017, that ludicrous game where the refs just completely went to sleep and just gave the game to Anaheim. And uh, that, that really, because that team had some momentum, that had a special feeling about it. And without that being, you know, the rug pulled, uh, the rug being pulled out from the Oilers, uh, you know, uh, that game just ruined everything. So I think that was a serious run coming. And I think we could have won the cup in 2017. But even more than that, it was the Calder Trophy. Connor McDavid should have won Rookie of the Year. Mm -hmm. He only played 47 games because he had the collarbone injury. And then they give it to Artemi Panarin, who was a 24-year-old who'd played six years in the KHL. Rookie, maybe you should look at your... Potato, potato. Maybe you should look at your rules there, guys. Anyway, at our official number 10... We have a guy that was, uh, you know, just such a huge name, kind of got mainstream uh, in the 80s when this sport kind of went mainstream in what was called the Rock and Wrestling Connection. And this guy was supposed to be from Scotland, but he was actually born in Saskatoon and raised in Winnipeg. And we're talking about Rowdy Roddy Piper, (laughs) who somehow, as Hogan's greatest nemesis, they even made a cartoon about Hulk Hogan and the bad guy was Rowdy Roddy Piper, leader of the villains. And he was never the WWF champion. Never, really? Never. And nowadays it's weird because there's so many titles. Wow. And everyone yeah. gets everyone gets to run with everything. And and like they have so they have so many they they have two world champions and then you could win both of those and then you might become the intercontinental champion afterwards, which makes no sense. Uh, but back then they didn't have all that. They had the Intercontinental, which Roddy Piper did win just for a very short time, mm-hmm. years later in the 90s. Uh, but other than that, he was never the world champion. And nowadays, like, everybody gets a turn with the right. world title. You get at least to try it out, and everyone gets a turn. It's all ridiculous, and the titles mean nothing now. But then they ha- they wanted to have Hogan just, you know, hold the title for years at a time. And Roddy Piper never won the world title. He could wrestle, he could fight, he was believable, he was badass, he was hilarious, he was infuriating, he was energetic, and he was just an unbelievable performer. I mean, people that saw him will never forget when he, uh, on his interview show on Piper's Pit, where he famously smashed the coconut over Jimmy Snuka's head, that's an iconic thing, Um, and he was just just a a bigger-than-life superstar 
Ric Flair said that Piper was one of only two guys that could outdrink him. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, you know, I'll, I feel bad for Roddy Piper, though. He died at 61. I think it was July 31st, 2015. I remember I was driving to Saskatchewan that day. And I remember Roddy Piper always said, he's like, there is no way I will ever live to see 65. He said, I know I put myself through too much. I lived hard. I drank hard. I, I just, I know I, I know I will die before 65. And he died at 61. He just knew it. And uh, Roddy Piper, bigger than life, if anyone ever was. And uh, how he didn't get at least a short run with the world title uh, is ridiculous, Vince. Um, number 10 on my list, you might find uh, a bit surprising, but this is very well thought out. And again, I'm going under the premise of underappreciated athletes okay number 10 on my list but first i do have a number 11 i have a uh, honorable mention okay <laughs> i think that one of the most unappreciated people or objects in society has been donald duck <laughs> <laughs> you play second banana to mickey mouse for all those years and after all these years of good service you can't even allow him to wear a pair of pants. I just, I don't know. I had to get that in there just because, yes, my list is all of athletes, but on the outside looking in, I had to give a bit of a shout-out to Donald Duck, the ultimate company man, um, second banana to that putz Mickey Mouse for a 1,000 years, and after all this time of good service, they can't even fit him with a piece of a pair of pants. Um, number 10 on my list, exactly. Number 10 on my list, Tim Duncan of the San Antonio Spurs. And you may ask why. Because he's got five NBA titles, career averages of 20-plus points per game, 11-plus rebounds per game. He was a 10-time All-NBA first-teamer, eight-time member of the first-team All-NBA defensive team. But where this guy sometimes I don't think gets the recognition that he deserves with numbers and, and accomplishments like this, twofold. First of all, he played in small city San Antonio. Second of all, he played with guys like David Robinson, Tony Parker, Manu Ginobili, and many others. And I think that took some of the shine off of the 1997 first overall pick out of Wake Forest. The San Antonio Spurs had some unbelievable luck. In 1989, they were terrible in 88 because I was living there in 88. And in 89, they get David Robinson. They get first in the lottery. Then the same thing happens in 96. Robinson misses most of the season with injuries. The pin bong, pin bong balls show up the right way, and the Spurs get to take number one overall in 97, and it turns out to be Tim Duncan. Tim Duncan was an unbelievable player, but you never he never made any noise in the media, never beat his wife, never beat his girlfriend, never did anything stupid or silly, just was the ultimate pro, and I think sometimes... Because maybe of, again, the circumstances of being in San Antonio, small city, um, five championships, you heard all the numbers. But again, I just think sometimes he doesn't get recognized as an unbelievably great player because he's going up in an era with Kobe. He's in an era with a whole bunch of great players. And I just think sometimes he may have gotten lost a little bit because he didn't, he didn't want that exposure to himself. He didn't. He even had trouble doing post-game interviews right there on the floor because he just wanted to be back in the locker room with his teammates. So, Tim Duncan is one of the greats of all time. I don't. He wouldn't be on the Mount Rushmore of NBA players just because there are so many players to choose from. 
But I do think in some way, shape, or form, and I know this because I lived in San Antonio for a while, and I know how good Tim Duncan was, and I just don't think enough people appreciate how really, truly good this young man was at the game of basketball. Interesting. So, yeah, I didn't expect anybody on your list who had had five world titles. So uh, it's just you think he should be, he's considered, oh, yeah, he was a great player, but he should be considered like one of the all-time greatest, like, top 25 all time oh i think he should be in the top probably somewhere between the top 10 to the top for top 20 of all time so let's say top because, 15 maybe because well i mean the guy has has uh now he didn't have much success in olympic play but five nba championships i mean eight times he was on the first team all nba defensive team he was 10 times all nba first team i mean the guy's resume is impressive and i think that maybe because of his not looking to seek, you yeah. know, the exposure and, and seek the adultery, as you like to call it. And I'm full, fully on board with that. He just let his game speak for himself. Mm-hmm. And um, now he's an assistant coach for mm-hmm. Popovich in, in San Antonio, and he does not want to be interviewed. He does not want to talk to the media. That's Popovich's job. I'm here to work with the players. I just think his personality, his behavior just doesn't, conform to what we think of when we think of NBA superstar. Interesting. And you think so between being a small market guy, a uh, team and a, uh, a low key guy and not beating his wife. I don't anything, think a lot he's... of people understand how good Tim Duncan okay. really was. Wow. Well, yeah, if he's on your list with five titles, he, he, uh, he, he, has I've to be thought about underrated. this very, and I'm not, I'm not blowing smoke. I'm just, yep. I really thought about this because I, obviously I had an inside take yep. on this because of my years in the military in San Antonio. But this guy is nothing but class. And what he does for the people of the city of San Antonio, still to this day, still uh, makes San Antonio his year-round residence. This guy is just one of the classiest things, but he doesn't want anybody to know about it. And he has my respect, and I don't think enough people realize how really, really good he was at the game of basketball. Wow. okay. All right, at number nine... Check out this resume, okay? Okay, so we've got an NHL player here. He's got his jersey retired. He's in the Hockey Hall of Fame. He was an All-Star Game MVP. He was a seven-time All-Star. He has the most consecutive 30-goal seasons in NHL history with 15 consecutive 30-goal seasons, and not even in the super old days. Right. And he's in the 700-goal club. He's one of only, whatever, eight guys, whatever, who's got over 700. He's got 708 goals. Okay. This is a pretty good resume. I'd say. I'd say that's a pretty good resume. This guy, um, and he was, actually, I won't say that yet because I'll give it away. This guy not only never won a Stanley Cup, he never even got to play in a Stanley Cup final. Whoa. With with thirty with uh, 15 consecutive 30-goal seasons and everything else. And on top of all Whoa. this, maybe this will give it away who it is. On top of this was also a three-time fastest skater winner at the all-star game and then it took Connor mcdavid to beat him 21 years later peter bondra no good guess but uh no we're talking about mike gartner i was gonna say that i really was good call mike gartner I mean, not only that and actually there's one other thing too so not only did he never ever win a cup he never even played in the stanley cup final and this is the worst part actually this is almost worse than that he never won an individual award Really? 708 goals and he never won an individual Nothing. season award? Nothing. That's bullshit. Isn't that he's, ridiculous? He's, he's right to be on that list. Isn't I, that ridiculous? I never thought of that, and I'm just kicking myself in the proverbial ass for not thinking of Mike Gartner. He was wow. so great. Like, just, he was so, 
he was so fast and smooth and he could like his shot was fast and hard and accurate and a quick release and like he could do everything like and the consistency and just everything all-star game mvp like i guess there if you count that as an individual award but like an actual like in-season award yeah, yeah. he won nothing and it's unbelievable like there's guys that maybe aren't good enough to win this guy was good enough to win cups individual titles yeah. you name it and i know he played in a tough era a uh, lot of competition, but I mean, Mike Gartner just, uh, I liked him on this list. And then I, when I put him on, I'm like, oh, well, he's maybe, I'm sure there's better than that. And then I didn't even realize, and I was putting him on the list already, and I didn't realize how bad it was with Mike Gartner. So Mike Gartner, class act all the way too, on top of everything wow. else. I, I've i never heard anyone say they don't like Mike Gartner. Wow. So amazing. Wow. That is a great pick. Well done. Um, my number nine is also from the National Hockey League. And um, I probably will give it away with this very first line, but he is a 2020 Hockey Hall of Fame inductee, two-time Olympic gold medalist in 2002 and 2010, two-time Memorial Cup winner with the Kamloop Blazers in the WHL, 1,300 career points, 625 goals, 675 assists, but he also could fight 1,040 penalty minutes throughout his career. 1995 first round draft pick of the Dallas Cowboys, the Dallas Stars. Probably could have played for the Cowboys. Probably could have played for the Cowboys as a hell of a tight end. Um, this guy, obviously most famous for his 16 years here in Calgary, but also played with the Boston Bruins, the Pittsburgh Penguins, the LA Kings, and the Colorado Avalanche. And I'm talking about the one and only Jerome Ginla. Um, I love Jerome Ginla. Um, it's funny. Um, he lives in my, used to live close to my neighborhood. So I'd see him driving around every time and every now, every once in a while in his truck. And if you waved at him, he'd always wave back. One of the classiest guys. And I relayed this story when we, when we broke the story, when he was inducted or had gained and in, gained induction, he hasn't been inducted yet, but when he was, he got the golden ticket to go to the hall mm-hmm. of fame in Toronto, we were talking about him and I had relayed the story about at the end of his career, when he was with the Colorado avalanche and he was coming off the ice and, a kid with the number 12 Jerome McGinley jersey was sitting there applauding him. And Iggy stops, pulls the kid out basically of the crowd because I'm right by the runway exit, right on ice level of the avalanche locker room and uh, throws his stick over and signs it first and then gives it to the kid. Um, there are just unbelievable stories about Jerome McGinley. Um, his mother was my eldest daughter, Olivia's music teacher in grade six at a local school here in Calgary. Um, his father is a Edmonton lawyer. Uh, Elvis is, I've met Elvis once very briefly, but unbelievable, nice man. You see where Aginla gets it. Um, I guess the only reason I put him on this list is because while it pains for me still to say this, I truly believe that he should have been a Stanley Cup champion with the 2004 Calgary Flames. They yeah. got fucked over by Helmut Herr, Kerry Frazier in game six. I truly believe that and will believe that till the day I die. Um, I just truly believe this guy is one of the really good guys. You never heard him about any stupid shit. You never heard him about, you know, getting caught doing, you know, stupid stuff. And, and uh, I just... Um, I don't know him real well, but I know him enough to say that I have great respect for him. His game spoke for himself. And you know, guys, for a lot, a lot of time of his 16 years in Calgary, 
Um, him and Kiprasov are the only two players the damn team had, to be totally honest with you. And uh, if he would have had Ke- Craig Conroy come in earlier in his career to play centerman on his line, you know, he Conroy came in later and he obviously boosted Aginla's numbers. But if he would have had any kind of centerman to work with in the earlier part of his career in Calgary, I don't know where the numbers would have been. But regardless of all that, he makes this on my list because he's a Class A individual, hell of a nice guy, and because he didn't bring home Lord Stanley's Cup, I don't think enough people appreciate how good a player and a person Jerome McGinley is. Yeah, that's a good pick. I, I can't say anything bad about McGinley. I like him, and I uh, I basically like him and Gary Roberts, and that's about it from Flames right. history. <laughs> so. There you go. I'm right there <laughs> yeah, with you. Yeah, there you go. All right, at number eight, here's another great resume. Uh, now, I noticed with baseball, I could have added a lot more baseball guys, but a lot of them didn't resonate with me or, or I didn't know them that well. But there's lots of guys that are, you know, easily double sure. digit all stars. Uh, but I picked this guy here, 13 time all star, uh, American League MVP one year, 10 time gold glove award winner and a seven time silver slugger award. That's a complete player. Whoa. And made the MLB All-Century team. And he's not even that old, even at this point, even though he's been retired for 10 years. And he's got the sweetest swing in an an MLB history. We've got Ken Griffey Jr. right here. And uh, he never won shit. (laughs) 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 And it's too bad. Because, I mean, how... I, I just... I feel like in some other universe, there is a... There's, you know, in the multiverse there, there's some universe where Ken Griffey Jr. won the World Series with a home run to clinch it. And there's just some iconic video of him doing the swing and all the flash bulbs go off. And I'm sure that's out there somewhere because he deserved it. I also think that, unfortunately, injuries at the end of his career, especially when he went left Seattle and went home to Cincinnati to play for the Reds. And he just played in a minuscule amount of games for the years that he was in Cincinnati because sure. of injuries. But you can't then you can't say that his career was cut short because he's one of only a very few handful of players who have ever played in the major leagues in four different decades. Uh, no question. No question, but I'm just saying the numbers if he has those years in Seattle, excuse me, in Cincinnati, then he that everybody was anticipating that he would. Um I think the numbers would have been just through the roof. And and uh, I agree. That's a great pick. And here's a guy that actually got to play in an all-star game and got to play in Seattle with his dad. Yeah, and that's pretty cool. Ken Griffey Third, his son, okay. is an NFL wide receiver, but he's a free agent. He's, he's kind of like a fringe guy, and he's I don't think he's playing anywhere right now. But uh, his, he's got athletics, if nothing else. No question. If you are just joining us, where the hell have you been? As we welcome you to this 529th episode of Unscripted, Chris and I are going through our top 10, what we believe and what we perceive to be underappreciated athletes from the wonderful and wacky world of sports. And uh, we're going to my number eight on my list. And this may surprise some people as well. But again, this was very well thought out of on my part. I'm going to pat myself on my own back here because, well, no one else will. Um, Number eight on my list. Yes. This guy was a maniac off the court. Yes, I had the privilege of getting drunk with him and his girlfriend at the Rio Suites and Hotel back in 1994 in Las Vegas. But on the basketball court, Dennis Rodman, to me, could play, just flat out play. Evidenced by his five NBA rings, two with Detroit and three with the Bulls. Best defensive player of his time, always was, being, was always guarding somebody else's, the other team's best player. 
every time and shut them down. And you know what the, the thing about it is, and you probably saw it if you saw the Last Dance documentary, there were a lot of times that Rodman probably didn't even know what he was doing because he was hung over from the night before or whatever else he was doing. But I got to tell you, from my one night with Dennis Rodman, and that doesn't sound as perverted as it, as it doesn't or shouldn't sound as perverted as it does in regard to my one night with Dennis Rodman, Carmen Electra also happened to be there. So it was like my buddy and I are sitting there and it's like, we both like Dennis Rodman and we're hanging out with this freak show and he's buying us drinks all night. But here's Carmen Electra sitting right here, smelling fine, looking fine and not wearing much. And it's like six in the morning in Las Vegas. And so maybe by that happenstance, Rodman makes my list. But I got to tell you, folks, led the NBA in rebounding for seven consecutive seasons. Again, wins five championships. And he did all of that at six foot nine. And again, I think... The things that he did, you know, with the wedding dress and the earrings and the nose rings and the it just, you know, all of that extracurricular bullshit. But I, my God, when he put the jersey on and put the uniform on, Dennis Rodman was a difference maker. Michael Jordan said as much in that in that documentary. Oh, yeah. The year that Jordan went out to play baseball, they lost Horace Grant and he went down as a free agent to play power forward for the Orlando Magic. When Jordan came back then in 95, they were missing that power forward element. No wonder then in 96, they bring in Dennis Rodman and boom, 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 three championships in a row. Jordan, Rodman, Pippen, great basketball teams. But uh, until they got Rodman, without Rodman, they don't win three championships in a row. So you love him or loathe him. You don't like that he does the crazy shit that he does. But my God, folks, on the basketball floor, when he was there to play basketball, he was a difference maker. And that's why I think he makes my list. Yeah, he was a rebounding savant for sure. Uh, I believe 1990 Defensive Player of the Year. Something like and, that. Yeah. And whatever else. Yeah, really, uh, just, a, just a savant, really. Uh, that actually ties nicely into my number seven. So my number seven is a tie between a ton of guys. And uh, they all have one common thread here. I listed four guys, but um, at number seven, I've got everybody who didn't win an NBA title because of Michael Jordan. And mm. there are some unbelievable names from the 90s in the number NBA. Number seven on my list. Yeah. There you go. So, okay, I want to see if you had the same. I just, and I didn't research it greatly, just there were four names that right off the top of my head just up here, when I think of guys that should have won a title in the 90s and would have without Michael Jordan getting in the way, I think of four guys. Who do you, who do you think of? Like, who are your four? Who are the top four best players that should have won a title and would have in the 90s, except for Michael Jordan? Well, I'm not going to give my number seven away, but okay. that's one of them who I think it is, and I'll just show you who it is so you'll know who no, I'm... No, that's not one of mine. Well, he is one of mine, and there's no doubt in my mind that that man at number seven that I'll introduce sure. when you're done with number seven, I believe without Michael Jordan, this man wins a title. Sure, and there's probably lots. I I'm thinking I right off the top of my head, I'm thinking Gary Payton and Sean Kemp, both oh, in Seattle. Good. I didn't even include them either. I think that uh, Mitch Richmond, uh, Chris Mullen... Tim Hardaway in Golden State probably would have won a title without yeah, Jordan yeah. around. Um, Didn't I think, have them. Yeah. I, 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 so I many think, people. I think there's a whole bunch of them. I think you. How can you not have a list without having Patrick Ewing on that list with the New York uh, Knicks? Yeah, I have him. Um, he certainly would have won a title without Jordan ruining his life all those years in the yeah. '90s. 
So uh, again, okay, so there's still there's, there's lots. some there's some guys out okay. there. Okay, so I had Patrick Not that Ewing from the top of my head. Huh? Yeah, well, yeah, exactly. There's so many. Uh, Patrick Ewing, I had Reggie Miller, I had Reggie Miller, great one, right? Yeah. And then two guys from the same team, Stockton to Malone. Obviously, that one, that one, like I don't know what's more tragic the the number two all time points leader, Carl uh, Malone, not having a title, or John Stockton, the best, you know, steals leader, the assist leader. That's a great point. Which one is more tragic? Yeah. Because they're, I, they're I, both horrible that they don't have a title. That's, that's a great point. You I, know, I, uh, yeah. It's, it's horrible. But, um, and then think about it. if he doesn't go play baseball, Michael Jordan, maybe you add Hakeem Olajuwon to this list. Maybe you add Clyde Drexler to this list. Maybe they win eight in a row. Maybe they, you know, without all the political bullshit we saw in the last dance, maybe they just win nine or ten in a row. They keep the team together in 1999 or something. Great. Yeah, no you know? question. No uh, question. So it's 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 just this it's this uh, complete wasteland of just broken bodies that like should have won multiple titles that are all just like no rings at all. And yeah, and uh, potentially your number seven as well. My number seven um, is a guy that obviously we all know. Uh, now probably more known for his work on the television with TNT. And also, if you're a golfer, you don't want to emulate this guy's golf swing. And who am I talking about but Sir Chuck, Charles Barkley, Philadelphia 76ers, Phoenix Suns, and Houston Rockets, the fifth overall pick of the 1984 draft by the Philadelphia 76ers. Of course, Jordan was taken third overall in that 84 draft out of the University of North Carolina. Barkley posted career averages of 22.1 points per game, uh, 11.7 rebounds per game. He won the MVP in 93 and uh, made one finals appearance with Phoenix that same year, and they lost in six to Jordan and the Bulls. An 11-time All-Star out of Auburn, and again now probably more famous as the TV guy on TNT. But folks, no Jordan. I truly believe Charles Barkley wins a title in 93 and probably a couple others maybe during his time in Philadelphia. But I think Charles Barkley is underappreciated just because he now is more kind of looked like as a goofy kind of, kind of a buffoon almost. And I don't mean that, you know, kind of as disrespect, but he does kind of come off as the fat, the fat, the, the fat and sassy, funny, laughy, whatever guy. And uh, people sometimes, because of his success with TNT, they've forgotten about what a great basketball player he was. And here's the thing that really just really fries my mind about Charles Barkley. And you know I made the analogy between him and Zion Williamson, but uh, this guy was a terrific defensive player, but an unbelievable rebounder, and he did it from the power forward, the four position, at six foot five. And he's probably closer to six foot four and something. So uh, what he did. And the way that his body was built, but the way he could jump and the way that he could box out and the way he could get rebounds, unbelievable to me. I think sometimes people have forgotten how good Sir Charles Barkley was again at the game of basketball. Yeah, wow. I, well, when you see him now, it's hard to believe he was ever an athlete, to be I know. honest. It's, it's I know. crazy. And then you see him swing a golf club. Mm. You have to just assume that's what he's doing. Like, I don't know if he's having a stroke, maybe, but I just assume he was trying to swing a club. I'm not sure. But... <laughs> Looks like he's trying to cut the fairways, yeah. is what he's trying to do. <laughs> Jeez. All right. At number six, we have a guy who re- unfortunately had to retire at 31. A lot of people think it was due to his knees, but it was due to his uh, degenerative hip condition. So uh, just just really unfortunate. Basically invented the power forward position in hockey, like I say. 
the only guy other than Gretzky to score 50 goals in 44 games. Cam Neely. Yeah, Cam Neely, of course. Uh, just a great guy. Won the Masterton Trophy after he tried to come back after a lot of his injuries and did and just worked so hard. Uh, stupid Alf Samuelson really, you know, hurt him with the, the knee-on-knee crap. And, and uh, Cam Neely, I mean... I feel so bad for the Boston Bruins. Like Bobby Orr had to retire so early. Yeah. Um, Cam Neely. What is and it, it's the just, water in Boston? Yeah, what? I don't know. Well, both of them, it was knee issues. And I don't know. Smaller it was just, ice surface. That's what it was in the old garden. <laughs> Maybe. But yeah, Cam Neely, I just think... Uh, like people know Cam Neely and know he was good and everything. But to be that good and he was big and strong, but he could score and had a great shot and he was tough and he just... Great, great Boston yeah. player, right? He was like a he was like a smarter, more athletic Kevin McHale on the ice type of a thing or something. I don't know if that's a good analogy, but no, it is actually pretty yeah, good. Yeah. yeah, so Cam Neely, he just suited. Even though he's from Vancouver Island, he just suited Boston somehow. He's like, from Vancouver Island. Yeah, he's from Comox. I didn't know that. Yeah, huh. yeah, Vancouver Island, the newly wed and the nearly dead. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, and of course, was part of the most hilarious trade, in my opinion. Because uh, I don't count Gretzky because it wasn't funny and it wasn't a trade. <laughs> but uh, the most hilarious trade is still Cam Neely and a first-round a first round pick who ends up being Glenn Wesley in exchange for Barry Peterson. That's still my favorite. Like uh, Peterson, wow. I thought he played 43 games. I read that somewhere. Our Vancouver bureau chief corrected me and said he played like a couple hundred or something. But still, it's Barry Peterson. No one gives a shit. And uh, Glenn Wesley and Cam Neely. Uh, both just spectacular all-time greats. And uh, yeah, Cam Neely makes number six on my list. Number six on my list. And um, if anybody wants to argue about golfers being athletes, they are athletes now. Um, there are, as Chris likes to say, there are no there are no uh, Craig, Stadlers. Craig Stadlers out there. There are no John Daly's out there. They're all machines now. But <clears throat> these, I'm gonna, I, I've got two golfers here at number six. I've got two golfers that I think that are underappreciated, and a lot of it has to do, especially with the second one, has to do because of Eldrick Tiger Woods. Um, my first uh, underappreciated, overlooked, whatever you want to call it, golfer is Rory McIlroy. And you think about it and you go, well, he's the number one ranked golfer in the world right now, Mike. You're, a, you know, what are you, you idiot? And I'm going, well, here's the thing. He has four career majors. The last one he uh, won was at the 2014 PGA Championship. He is the 2019 PGA Tour Player of the Year. He's the 2019 FedEx Cup Player of the Year. Um, but after winning his third major in 2011 at the age of just 25 at the time, actually he was even younger than that, um, many people expected him to be the next Tiger Woods. And the thing that is surprising to me and why I think that he made this list for me is Rory is the best player in the world right now. And I know Brooks Kepka's out there. I know DJ's out there. I know Tiger, when he plays with a back, without the back problems, Tiger is still there. But this guy, it's, it's incredulous to me that a guy with the talent that Rory McIlroy has and the way he can hit the ball and the way that he is so beautiful around the greens and his putting is underrated... It has been now six years since he's won a major championship. And that's why I think he makes this list. Because with a guy with his kind of talent, should have won, I believe, a major championship since 2014. Yeah, wow. And, yeah. you know, again, he's come close a couple of times. He only needs the Masters to complete the career Grand Slam. But the last time, uh, excuse me, Rory McIlroy won a major championship, he was 25 years old. 
I'm not a math major, but he's 31 years old now. And so there you go. The other guy that I think makes my list for golfing is Phil Mickelson. And here's why. I hate turkey tits. Not a fan. But here's the thing. 44 PGA Tour wins, five major championships. And here's why I think people forget that and maybe overlook Phil Mickelson. In all his illustrious career, Phil Mickelson has never been ranked number one in the world because of a guy named Eldrick Tiger Woods. When Eldrick Tiger Woods was on top of the golf rankings for a record 621 weeks, who was number two? Phil Mickelson. Phil Mickelson, as long as Tiger Woods was around, Phil Mickelson was never going to ascend to number one. I don't care what anybody says. I don't care if Amy Mickelson's sitting right here, I would say the same thing. As long as Eldrick Tiger Woods is around, Phil Mickelson was never going to ascend to number one. It's a shame when you've got guys that have been number one, that are good players, but are they in the are they in the altitude of a Tiger Woods or a Phil Mickelson? No, because... David Duvall has been number one previously. David Duvall was a great player back in the late 90s, but eh, is he one of your all-time greats? Not with one only, not with only one major championship to his credit. So I think because of he is a creature of circumstance, Phil Turkey Tits Middleton, Mickelson, Middleton, Mickelson makes my list just because of the circumstances when he was at his best. He was always up and always going to be number two to a guy named Tiger. All right. We're getting into the top five now. And uh, I'm going to go with a guy that should have been world champion a bunch of times because he looked like a world champion and he performed like one. And he was just so complete. He could do it all. And he got his name because when he was a meeting and he was coming into the big league, uh, he was talking to, you know, the boss of that league. And uh, the guy asked him, what kind of a college athlete were you? And his answer was, I was perfect. <laughs> and that's how Mr. Perfect was born. Kurt Hennig. Kurt Hennig, uh, <laughs> who, I mean, died too young in 2003 uh, of uh, cocaine poisoning or acute toxicity from cocaine or whatever, which is was not a perfect way to die. But other than that, I loved his look. I loved his tights. I loved... The way he talked, I loved his finishing move, the perfect plex. I liked everything about Mr. Perfect. He just looked like a world champion. He was a wrestler, and he wore the actual wrestling singlet and pulled it off and made it look great, and just an all-time great, and I miss Mr. Perfect. And he was, uh, you know, almost too good for his time. He was ahead of his time, and uh, I just was so sad that he was... He, I mean, he, he raised the level of the Intercontinental title, but he was never the world champion, and uh, it was a real shame. That was just such a travesty. Number five on my list, I, guess, I would have to say about Kurt Henning, one of the best things that's ever come out of the state of Minnesota. <laughs> and that's a lot for me to say. Yeah, I know. I know yeah. uh, number five on my list may surprise some of you again, but um, again, I think that there's a reason why this guy made my list. Um, three-time NBA champion, but I believe he is underappreciated because he was the Robin to LeBron James's Batman in Miami, sacrificing a lot of his overall game to accommodate the Heat's big three, which included this guy along with Chris Bosh and, of course, LeBron James, and I'm talking about Dwayne Wade. Dwayne Wade is a hell of a basketball player, and I have a personal connectivity. Nah, I haven't met him, but all I'm saying is he played college ball at Marquette University in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, so automatically he's one of my guys. And I think Dwayne Wade, the reason that Miami won 
the two championships that they won and that they were in four successive NBA finals was twofold. First of all, they were in the Eastern Conference. Second of all, um, Dwayne Wade sacrificed a lot of his playmaking, a lot of his scoring to accommodate LeBron James. And LeBron James, wherever he goes, is going to be the you know alpha male. There's just no getting around that. That's what it is. And I think that Dwayne Wade sacrificed some of his scoring, some of his numbers overall to make the big three what they were. Now, Wade won three championships. He was the main dog when they won in 2011, but that was before LBJ. And that was when they had Shaquille O'Neal. And no question, Dwayne Wade was the alpha male dog on that 2000 whatever. And it wasn't uh, Dallas won it in 2011 against Miami, but previously Miami had played against Dallas in the finals and Miami won, maybe 2008. I'm not sure. Check it. I'm not going to. But all I'm going to say is that I think Dwayne Wade makes this list because of what he sacrificed to make the Miami's big three what we remember them as. Okay, at number four, I had a guy that... I really thought I was going to put it number one originally. Mm. And it's be, it's simply because this is the name that always comes to mind. So I figured maybe the name that just comes to mind when you think about underappreciated guys, uh, maybe that should be number one. But I just I didn't feel like I could quite put him there. But we're talking about Dan Marino, and he is just that name. Like if Especially if, if the conversation is specifically guys who should be in the Hall of Fame, who never won a title. It's just Dan Marino is the guy that comes to mind. Right. Right? So... I mean, he was just so legendary and just play, played for such a sad sack franchise. <laughs> really, I mean, I know that they were, they were better at times, but look, if you have Dan Marino and you don't win an, uh, a, an NFL championship or a Super Bowl or anything, I think that uh, there, there definitely could have been better decisions made in the front office. No question. And I think what, what should have happened, especially when you're playing for what turned out to be the winningest coach in all time in the history of the game and Don Shula with 347 wins, I think the thing that we need to concentrate on when Marino was there, um, the problem was they never could stop anybody. Marino had to outscore everybody. Mm -hmm. And when you get into the playoffs, you know, that I think – that's the reason why during all the years that Marino was quarterbacking the Miami Dolphins, they only made one Super Bowl appearance, and that was in 1984 against the San Francisco 49ers. But defense still wins championships, and Miami's defense couldn't stop, they couldn't stop themselves. So I think you're absolutely right. If And I don't know who the general manager was at the time, but you'd think that Coach Shula could certainly realize that. Yeah. If they could have had any kind of defense with that offense – Miami, I believe, under uh, under the you know the quarterbacking of Marino, should have probably won a couple of Super Bowl titles if they would have had some defense. Yeah, yeah, and and there, yeah, I have nothing else to really add, but just Dan Marino is the name that will always come to mind in that situation. Number four on my list is a pitcher from the major leagues, a guy that pitched for most famously for the New York Yankees, but also spent time with the Chicago Cubs and the San Diego Padres. And between the years of 1975 to 1985, Rich Goose Gossage was the best relief pitcher in baseball, bar none. Scaring opposing hitters shitless with a menacing mustache and an even more menacing 100-plus-mile-an-hour fastball. He pitched in the big leagues for 22 seasons, accumulating 124 wins and 310 saves. He won World Series titles with the Yankees in the 70s, but surprisingly to me, this guy is not in the Baseball Hall of Fame. So that's why this guy, to me, makes my list as some of the most uh, 
underappreciated athletes from the wonderful and wacky world of sports. Wow, that's an interesting one. I remember when I was 10 years old and I was collecting hockey cards and I was in the the sports card store when those were a thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, they, those don't really exist anymore, do they? Like, no. No. And uh, I, I remember I was looking through baseball cards and I saw this name I'd never heard of before when I was 10, Goose Gossage. <laughs> and I just started laughing. I was like, is it a real name? What is this? So anyway... All right, top three. Now we're getting into the real rarefied air here. Okay, so let's take a look at this resume here. Two-time AL MVP. Okay. Baseball Hall of Fame. Okay, that's pretty good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Jersey retired. Yeah, okay. Mm-hmm. That's good. Mm-hmm. Yep. Good. All-century team. Hmm, okay. Now we're, now we're re- getting good. Now yeah. we're really getting good. Yeah. How about this? How about a 19-time All-Star and he missed... The four or five like years right in the prime of his career because of the war, and we're talking about Ted Williams, who should have been probably a 24-time All-Star, greatest hitter ever, greatest eye ever, yep. uh, hit 400, ended up 406, I guess. 406 in 1941. Yeah. And uh, yeah, and then lost, you know, from what 42 to 46 in the war, or whatever. Or he came back and he won the MVP in 46 as well as 49. And uh, you know, famously, that story I love where. He's sitting there up to bat and practice whatever, and he and he told them that, you know, the line to first base is not the right angle by like a millimeter, or whatever, yeah. and he was right, and uh, just unbelievable. Ted Williams, I didn't really want to have a baseball player this high, but I mean, when you factor in everything, and the fact he didn't win a World Series is just ridiculous. Um, had the pleasure many times of driving down the Ted Williams Parkway in San Diego, California, where he originates from. That's his hometown, and. Unbelievable batting eye, 406, as you mentioned, 406 in 1941. And I believe in this shortened season of Major League Baseball this year, I truly believe with only 60 games, we could finally have another 400 hitter in Major League Baseball. Oh, yeah. Now, there'll be a lot of things. There'll be a big asterisk. I get that. But, you know, there have been guys that have been over, like John Olerud back in the early 90s. He was the guy that's been probably closest to getting to hitting to hitting 400 again back in his day as the Blue Jays first baseman. But I think somebody can maintain a 400 average over a 60 game season because I mean, with only 60 games, balls to the walls every night. Mm -hmm. Right. So, uh, but we'll see, but it's unbelievable of all the records, you know, I don't think anybody hits 400 if they're playing a full 162 game Great, schedule. What well, today's pitchers and, and specialty exactly, and, and you never see the and, same pitcher twice. Yeah, and yeah. you've got you know nine pitchers that are available to pitch. You know it's ridiculous these day and age, but again. Uh, great choice there, certainly by the splendid splinter Ted Williams. Number three on my list. This will again surprise some people, I believe. I think this guy was underappreciated because he was a running back that did everything well but nothing really great. 1,000-plus rushing yards in each of his first 10 seasons in the NFL, retired as the fourth all-time leading rusher in NFL history. He played in Super Bowl 31 against the Green Bay Packers. He played for the New England Patriots and the New York Jets, and I'm talking about my favorite Martian running back, Curtis Martin. I think this guy, hell of a football player, uh, his one and only Chance at a championship. They lost in Super Bowl 31 to the Green Bay Packers. Too bad, so sad. Uh, But a really, really good guy, classy guy, never heard again. Any garbage about him in in the offseason or 
you know, uh, at night during the season, just a really seemingly very solid guy. Um, obviously a thousand yards rushing 10 years in a row. That's deserving of anything that Curtis Martin has coming to him. And I truly believe, uh, very underappreciated. The guy didn't do anything again, anything spectacular, just did everything very, very well. Interesting. Okay. All right. At number two, and I really thought this guy would be number one as well, but then I put him at number two. But I mean, it's it's the human highlight reel playing for the uh, you know shittiest franchise ever, the Detroit Lions, and it's Barry Sanders. And Barry Sanders being forced to retire early and not win a title and not even go to a Super Bowl is just uh, one of the most tragic things ever. It, it's, it what, it's what makes me feel like we're not living in the best timeline. We're like living in one of the crappy other ones because yep. Barry Sanders isn't there. And again, as, as we mentioned uh, last week, they don't take Tony Mandarich. The Packers could have taken Barry Sanders at two. And what would that have looked like? Yeah, you know, somebody asked me this week, um, what would the Packers offense had looked like if you had Barry Sanders at running back? Would you have become a run-dominated team? And the question in Green Bay is obviously, hell yeah. Because if you have Barry Sanders, you utilize Barry Sanders. I, I, just, I just wonder. I mean, just again, I go back to that whole 89 draft. Hall of Famer, Hall of Famer, Hall of Famer, Hall of Famer, and then our guy at number two. Um, unbelievable. And, like, I, I think almost any franchise, maybe not the Browns, maybe not the Jets, but pretty much any franchise, I think, sees pretty quickly what they have in Barry Sanders and is like, okay. Like, I mean, the Baltimore Ravens now, they, they just they hadn't even had Lamar Jackson play yet. And they were like, hey, maybe we should be a rushing team. And they made sure they had great run blocking. Yep. And they had Lamar Jackson. And they got a, a good stable of running backs. They got Mark Ingram. And they uh, and now they drafted J.K. Dobbins even now coming into this oh, year. I love that pick. Yeah. And, and they had him ranked as the top running back in the draft, period. And had a first-round grade on him. Mm-hmm. Like if they you know, had been forced to take a running back first round or first overall, let's say, they, they would have taken him. And... They are fully committed to this, and I think that's great. And, and that was risky, I mean, especially with Lamar Jackson being so unproven. But they they committed to what they thought was going to be the best thing for their franchise going forward before even seeing him. Right. If you have the benefit of having seen Barry Sanders play in the NFL, and he's on your team already, how do you not then, number one, say, okay, we're rushing offense, yep. like, let's get the best run-blocking O-lineman, let's get a really good... Uh, you know, run uh, dominated uh, uh, system. Let's get a really good mind, a guy who's got like a really good, you yeah. know, rushing offensive coordinator, whatever. And then on top of that, let's actually build an entire complete franchise and really, uh, you know, go for a Super Bowl here. I don't know how you don't do all those things. And then on top of that, to re- make the guy retire because he refused to even be remotely competitive at all. It's just the most unforgivable thing in the history of sports. And Barry Sanders, number two, and what a shame. I mean, the guy should have five Super Bowls, honestly. Number two on my list, um, I think you'll be surprised by this one, too. Undrafted by the Dallas Cowboys out of Eastern Illinois in 2003. He is a four-time Pro Bowler with 2,829 completions and 4,335 attempts for a 65.3% completion percentage, 248 career touchdown passes versus 117 interceptions, 34,183 career passing yards, and a career passing rating, passer rating, excuse me, of 97.1%. The problem? 
two and four in six career playoff games and no Super Bowls. And this guy now is more famous as being the most intelligent, most captivating, most enlightening color commentator that pro sports has ever seen. And I'm talking about that one-time Dallas Cowboy quarterback out of Burlington, Wisconsin, Mr. Tony Romo. And I think Romo is underappreciated because obviously um, he was a quarterback for a good chunk of time in Dallas. Dallas has the resources you think that they should have won a championship or two under his watch. Partially part of the problem is the general manager who, uh, who happens to also be the owner. Um, a lot of extenuating circumstances, but Tony Romo, again, you are the quarterback of what a lot of people like to think of as America's team. And you have a two and four record in six career playoff games, never made it to an NFC championship game. And so there are a lot of things in the resume that Tony Romo probably obviously are, uh, you know, unfinished business, but kudos to him for what he's done in the telecasting booth. It's been awesome. 17 million a year next year to sit by Jim Nance and talk football, but Obviously, as a professional athlete and as a quarterback of America's team, the Dallas Cowboys, probably a little underappreciated as an NFL quarterback because, again, the 2-4 and four playoff record and zero Super Bowls. Yeah, well, we're really finding out how smart Tony Romo is. So oh, it, absolutely. It, it really and calls into question uh, what, what team was with him and how maybe you could have an even better GM than Jerry Jones. Well, yeah, I mean, but I think still, in the eyes of people, I think... Again, having been the quarterback of the Dallas Cowboys and with the resources that they have, I think that it's a shame to Tony and it's a bit disrespectful that, you know, they didn't give him all of the weapons potentially they could have to secure at least a, a trip to a Super Bowl. I think that, yeah. you know, we look a little differently at Tony Romo in regard to his playing career if he even makes it to the big game. He never even made it to the big game. Um, more probably famous now, obviously, for his uh, analytical work with CBS, but also now as a very, very good golfer as well. Yeah, Tony Romo seems like just a really nice guy, and uh, I wish he would have uh, had uh, a little more success, but it's really hard to feel sorry for the Dallas Cowboys in general, especially when you factor in that they have the most revenue of any uh, team, It's and they're the, like the most valuable franchise on earth or whatever. Yep. It's really hard to feel sorry for them, you know. Oh, I don't feel sorry for him. I yeah. I do feel sorry for Tony Romo because sure. of the Wisconsin connection, and I think a lot of people poo-poo him every now and then because of his lack of playoff success. But you know, I don't care if you're Aaron Rodgers. I don't care if you're Brett Favre. I don't care if you're Dan Marino. I don't care. It takes 22 people to win a football game. One guy cannot do it, regardless of how good that one guy happens yep. to be. Number oh, right. one, sir. Yeah, number one. Drum roll, please. Yeah, I, I, uh, I know I've had this guy number one on a recent list, but I had to do it again because he's there for two reasons. Because number one, he never won a world title, which uh, alone was ridiculous. And then number two, his life was cut short so tragically. And of course, we're going to talk about Calgary's Owen Hart one more time. And I mean, you want a complete performer, much like Mr. Perfect. You want a guy who could wrestle. He he could. He, he was technical. He could fly. He could talk. He was hilarious on the microphone. He was hilarious out of the ring. Yeah, he was the funniest guy. Everyone loved him. He was the ultimate practical joker. And on top of all that, he he did anything he could to save money. Like he would just 
he would go wrestle. He'd be wrestling wherever, somewhere in the States or something. And after the show, he'd meet up with people and try to see if he could stay at their house for free. He saved every dollar he could for retirement and for his family. And he was really responsible like that. And uh, like, how crazy is that? And people are like, yeah, Owen Hart can come stay at my house. Sure. I'm like, yeah, no problem. And he'd just go in and stay there. And, and uh, amazing guy. And, uh, you know, fall to your death because they decide to lower you into the ring as, as your old character that you shouldn't have been anymore. And instead of having proper apparatus, someone grabbed something that was supposed to be used for yachting and it was way too flimsy and it just, and it dropped them. Uh, just the, the most devastating sports death I've ever dealt with. And that was really hard for me. That one, that one hit harder than anything. And uh, Owen Hart, he could have been number one just because of how he never won the world title, even if everything else had been fine. But the, the tragic circumstances, especially a guy who really tried so hard to take care of his family and save every dollar he could to enjoy retirement and never got to live past 35 is just a, a tragedy uh, on just a complete other level. Okay, as we wind down on this 529th episode of Unscripted with Mike and Chris, we are going through our top 10 of the most, in our opinions, the top 10 most underappreciated athletes from the wonderful and wacky world of sports. And we are coming down to my number one. And people in Wisconsin aren't going to be surprised by this. You're not going to be surprised by this. But some people that aren't from the state of Wisconsin would be surprised by this. And my number one is was a very simple one. This is one that I took, and usually I go from 10 down. This one I went from 1 then to 10 down. Mm -hmm. Number one for me was easy. Hammer and Hank Aaron, right fielder extraordinaire from the Milwaukee and the Atlanta Braves, and ended his career as a designated hitter in 1975 with the Milwaukee Brewers. The numbers are staggering. 755 career home runs, the National League MVP and World Series champion in 57. He was a 25-time All-Star, and his number 44 has been retired by both the Braves and the Brewers organizations. And in 1975, when he finally hung him, hung him up and retired from baseball, he was the last member of any guy or any player that had spent some time in the Negro Leagues. Originally, Hank Aaron was signed in 1952 as a member of the Negro Leagues' Indianapolis Clowns. His career numbers over these how many years of Major League Baseball service, he had a career 305 batting average, with 3,771 hits, again, the 755 homers, and just uh, just about, he ended up at 2,297 runs batted in. So why, you may be asking, is he so underrated in my opinion? Well, he played in Milwaukee for the prime of his career. And the most thing famous about Milwaukee is beer in Laverne and Shirley and Happy Days. And uh, obviously it isn't a big market, kind of like, Tim Duncan in regard to San Antonio. The team only won one World Series championship with a loaded team led by, obviously, Hank Aaron, but with guys like Eddie Matthews, Lou Burdett, Warren Spahn. That's for my parents. My father's dead, but he would know who all of these three guys are. And look at some of the outfielders that were playing at that time in big markets. Just look at the three uh, big-time primetime outfielders that were in the city of New York at the time. They used to have a song they came out calling called Mickey, Willie, and the Duke because you had Mickey Mantle in the Bronx with the Yankees. You had Willie Mays uh, in uh, New York with the, at the time, the New York Giants. And then you had Duke Schneider in center field for the old Brooklyn Dodgers. So 
unbelievable competition. You also had Stan Musial in St. Louis at the time. So this guy, folks, trust me, was an unbelievable, awesome all-around baseball player. And I think, I think he gets underappreciated because he played in Milwaukee. And I really believe a lesser man, especially when he broke Babe Ruth's home run record in 1974 in southern Atlanta, Georgia, and all the flack and all the shit that he took from haters and racists and morons that didn't want a black guy to beat at that time the most esteemed baseball record of all time. It had been held for how many years by Babe Ruth at 714 career home runs. And for this guy to do it in southern, in a southern U.S. state as an African-American, I think is one of the greatest attributes. And I'll never forget how many death threats that Hank Aaron had because of hitting one more home run. And to, to accomplish that, um, unbelievable. And I think he, hands down, is one of the most underappreciated athletes of all time. He is a Hall of Famer, first-time Hall of Famer. Should have been and was, thankfully. But uh, I think he gets underappreciated in the eyes of sports fans because, again, you're dealing with Mickey Mantle. You're dealing with Willie Mays. You're dealing with Duke Schneider. You're dealing with Stan Musial in St. Louis. There's a lot of unbelievably talented outfielders at this time. Remember, the major leagues at this time only had about 12 to 14 teams in it, and everybody had a marquee outfielder. And that's kind of the things that Hank Aaron was up against. And as much as I hate to say it, race played a, a, played a part in it as well because when he broke the record, obviously – in Atlanta, Georgia, in the 70s, they didn't like an African-American, again, going and trying to take overtake one of the great records of all of baseball, and this guy did it with a lot of class. He could have gone a lot of different ways with this, but obviously he took the classiest way out. And I, to me, and me alone, you may not agree with this, but that's fine. That's the beauty of these lists. But for me, this is one of the most underappreciated men for not only what he did on the baseball field, but what he had to endure off of the baseball field because of a lot of morons that don't know the difference between just, you know, it's, it's a black and white issue for them. And that's really, really too sad. Yeah, I'm sure. I can't even imagine all of what Henry Aaron must have gone through, but a 25 time all-star, I don't know what's more amazing that he was a 25 time all-star or that someone named their team, the Indianapolis clowns. Yeah. Yeah. That's a real name. Indianapolis Clowns, that was, you may have heard in your lifetime, the Kansas City Monarchs. They were the most famous team from those old Negro yeah, leagues. Yeah. They had the famous pitcher, Satchel Paige. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, but yes, he was originally signed in 1952 by the Indianapolis Clowns of the old Negro League. Why would leagues. you call your team the Clowns? I don't know. I have no idea, but what? <laughs> I, I just, uh, I have great respect for Hank Aaron. Yeah, Obviously, sure. there's a connectivity because of Wisconsin, but, uh, you know, my mother in Florida, uh, not a huge baseball fan, but my mother with her failing health and everything else can still talk about the times that they'd go to old County stadium in Milwaukee and watch the old 1950s Milwaukee Braves. And, and, uh, all those guys that I rattled off, Eddie Matthews, Lou Burdett, Warren Spahn, obviously Henry Hammer and Hank Aaron, all of those guys, my mother can memorize and tell you about her special time watching the the uh, Braves of Milwaukee back in the 1950s. We've got to run, folks. A lot of fun on this. Uh, some interesting choices by both of us. I think both of us surprised each other with a couple of them. And remember, folks, if you're surprised 
please feel free to comment on our new YouTube channel. You can certainly subscribe there as well. And you can always, please, I ask you to please, if you haven't done so already, you can still sub subscribe on our audio ways of listening to the program as well. We truly appreciate it when you do. Having said all that, for the executive producer of Unscripted, Mr. Chris Fluke, I'm Mike Jansen. Until next time.